Okay, welcome everyone. Uh, I think the last topic that was a bit, uh, I don't know, we got a lot of uh, response. Everybody participated a lot. So I'm not sure if, uh, if a lot of you were left somewhat confused or if you felt a bit uh, relieved. Uh, maybe you didn't even think about it <laughs> when you got home. Uh, the idea of what is true Mahayana motivation, especially for someone who has been in the Mahayana tradition, who has had contact with the Mahayana tradition for some time, the sense of the motivation that they have, what they consider to be Mahayana motivation, is it really Mahayana motivation? When you're thinking about, uh, I'm doing this practice so I can have a body of a Buddha, is this Mahayana motivation? Even though it has, seems to have all the wording that somebody who's a Mahayanist would be speaking, is it Mahayana motivation? And I think we talked something about, uh, I think there was a lot of questions about, uh, uh, do Buddhas perceive suffering? And I think that perhaps that was a bit confusing for some people. Uh, because the question is, if Buddhas, if you're, if the whole purpose of becoming a Buddha is to help others who are suffering, then if you become a Buddha and can't see suffering, then what's the purpose of becoming a Buddha? then what does it mean to see, to see suffering? Does it mean, is seeing suffering the same thing as experiencing suffering or suffering itself? That's the question that we have to ask. And it also brings questions about if you are seeing suffering, are you making it? Are you the cause of the suffering that you're seeing? Okay. So I'm not sure if that was clear for some of you, uh, but it's something for, for us to think about. Um, there is, there is a, an expression, I'm not sure exactly how to... Uh, it seems to make sense in the Tibetan, but uh, when you translate it, it doesn't seem to make sense. Uh, that addresses this particular uh, point. So it's not just something that we are struggling with. It's something that's... You know, Buddhist has been uh, trying to understand for a long time. Uh, it, it says, the Buddha sees... Hmm. So, well, let's, let's take this, for, for example, as, a found, uh, as an understanding. Everything that the Buddha experiences, the Buddha experiences it in a blissful way. And the, the, the taste, that, the way the Buddha tastes things is talked about. Like no matter what the Buddha tastes, no matter what the Buddha puts in his mouth, it gives him incredible bliss. So from this one might say that the Buddha doesn't experience doesn't see suffering. But that's not what it, this is saying. And this is where the, this Tibetan thing comes up to, to sort of like uh, 
uh, expand our ideas about how to understand this, where it says, translations in my mind and none of them are any good. It's like the Buddha sees ugly but the ugly doesn't see the Buddha? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Buddha sees ugly but it's not ugly to the Buddha. I think that, that that's the, the way you would translate it. The Buddha sees ugly, but what did I say? But the Buddha, it's the but it's not ugly to the Buddha. Do you get that? Mm -hmm. uh, and one example I have is uh, in the sutra, where a king comes to the Buddha while the Buddha is out in, in the forest somewhere, you know, hanging out with the with his homies. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them uh, goes into uh, a singing, you know, gets some sort of inspiration and starts singing. And his voice is absolutely, incredibly beautiful. And actually it was the voice of this, uh, uh, of this practitioner that attracted the king. And the king you know, wanted to uh, see this, uh, this person. And he went to the Buddha and said, Who, which one of your disciples has this incredible voice? I have to see them. And the Buddha said, well, you may not really want to do that. And, and he said, no, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, I'll, no matter where he is, I'll, no matter what, what, what I have to do to go see this, I have to see this person with this incredible, beautiful voice. And then the Buddha said that even though his voice is incredibly beautiful, but his appearance is revolting. Now, if the Buddha didn't see an appearance of revolting, why would the Buddha say his appearance is revolting? Now, the Buddha didn't just say, oh, you know, he doesn't look good. <laughs> right? The Buddha said his appearance is revolting. That's the Buddha sees ugly. Okay. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe he, the person had some sort of, I don't know. <laughs> Deformity or something like that. Or maybe, you know, it was, I don't know, something happened to that person that would make, when a, a regular person sees that person, they would say, oh, that person looks revolting. Maybe they had some sort of disease or something, I don't know. Okay. So, that example is to, uh, point out that the Buddha does see ugly. Okay. Now, what is the normal person's reaction to when they see what they uh, what appears to them as ugly? You know, we know the ugly and beautiful beautiful are supposed to be like very very highly subjective states of of perception. You know, we even have the the, the saying beauty is in the mind of the beholder. Okay. But there are certain common things, like for example, when you look out, outside and you see a garbage can, and it's filled with garbage, and it's so filled with garbage, you know, it has garbage all, over, all around it. You don't say, wow, what a beautiful sight. <laughs> I mean, somebody might be able to say that, but if the person who says that, we say that person is not, is not right in their mind, right? Because <laughs> there's, 
sort of like a, a common acceptance of, 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 of that's not supposed to be a, a beautiful sight. Okay. So in the same way, uh, what, is common, uh, 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 what is commonly accepted is also it is said that Buddha also accepts. Now, if you were to go into, try to go into the Buddha's mind, use the Buddha's eyes and mind to see, okay, now I know what the Buddha sees by, by going into, inside the Buddha's mind. But the only way that you can do that is to be a Buddha yourself. <laughs> okay. But trying to speculate as to exactly what the Buddha sees, exactly how the Buddha sees it, is, will lead, uh, it will lead you to nowhere. But this one thing that we have to know, that your suffering that you experience, the Buddha sees it exactly as it is. And what is it exactly as it is? Don't try to, spe don't try to abstract, try to, try to speculate into some, some uh, thing that you yourself will not, will not believe in. Okay. If you have a headache, you have a headache. Okay, if you need five, asp five aspirins to get rid of it, you need five aspirins to get rid of it. If you need one aspirin to get rid of it, you need one aspirin to get rid of it. But you have a headache. Now, does the Buddha, when he look at you, does the Buddha see, see a headache or not? That would be, the Buddha would be useless if the Buddha cannot see your headache. Okay, the Buddha does see your headache, but does it give the Buddha a headache to see your, to see your headache? <laughs> And I, and, and I think the reason why we would like the Buddha not to see suffering is because we are sort of, uh, we are, that this is the, the nice way of using this term, uh, uh, psychological term. We are projecting onto the Buddha the same way we react when we see suffering. We see how we are helpless and then the sense of helplessness makes us feel uncomfortable. And the reaction we have is that we don't want to see this. Okay? So we think that we will reach a state, not that when we will no longer react this way, in this helpless uh, way, but we want to reach a state where we don't see the suffering anymore. So we project onto the Buddha, or the Buddha doesn't see suffering. That's what that enlightenment state is like. But we have to ask ourselves, then how is the Buddha going to help you in your own situation if the Buddha cannot see your situation? When a Buddha looks at you, Buddha sees another Buddha. Buddha's not going to bother to trying to enlighten you. You already, already see that you're enlightened. Then you then then the, the the question then to try to hold on to that, then we further speculate. Oh yeah, the Buddha sees you as a Buddha, but he reads your mind. You see that you are not. You don't see yourself as a Buddha. Now. What, 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 some of you have heard this term. Uh, one of the ways of uh, describing the Buddha's characteristics, like the Buddha, is seme, seme, seme gyurpa. What does that mean? You know that term? Seme gyurpa. Come on. Come on. Generally perceiving, as, perceiving things as they are. Sema? Perception. Uh-huh. But is Sema, what's Sema? Perception. But not just perception. Correct. Yeah, correct. Perception. perception. 
Generally, no. Oh, you're on the spot, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Semigurpa is one of the de- one of the ways of describing the Buddha. The Buddha is the one who who has become valid. Yeah. So, so is someone who has become the very nature of seeing things validly. Okay. Correctly. And what what is, what is it? One of, what is one of the things about seeing something? correctly. The way it appears to you is the way it is. There isn't this false there isn't this false way of it appearing to you and it's not that way. And your and your mind is struggling with what's appearing and what then the way it is. So if the Buddha is that, that there are no deceptive appearances to the Buddha, where it appears one way and it is not. That only non enlightened beings have this kind of perception. So that would be the Buddha perceives it as another being as a Buddha, and yet when the Buddha looks, he sees that it's not a Buddha. That would contradict the very this very quality of the Buddha. For things not to appear deceptively, that that would be like the Buddha is being deceived when he looks in, at a being, but when he reads the mind, he says, "Oh, the Buddha, the being doesn't see himself as a Buddha." Then you might think, well. It's the being's own thoughts or being's own perception of themselves. So the Buddha perceives that the way they perceive. It. That's how the Buddha perceives suffering. When he doesn't look into your mind, all he sees are other Buddhas. But only looks into your mind. Then that's when he knows. Oh, that one appears as a Buddha, but it's not a Buddha. That one is, appears as a Buddha. Oh yeah, that, that, that one is a Buddha. So. Even if that is how the Buddha perceives non-Buddhas, then you have to say the Buddhas still see non-Buddhas. They still see suffering. You can't say that the Buddhas don't see suffering at all. And 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 it is uh, it is in the somewhat of a conclusion in the in, in the monastic texts where they they say. Then what's the use? The Buddha becomes completely useless. Okay. So you have to somehow get these things in your mind and, and see them as in uh, being characteristics of one phenomena called the enlightened being, and not just an enlightened being in the sense of you know, the Buddha, but when I become a Buddha. This is what these are the characteristics that I will manifest, that I will display. Okay. I will not experience suffering. The Buddhas don't experience suffering. But you will know who is suffering. Not just and the, and uh, Jason Kappa says if the Buddha sees uh, suffering by reading people's minds in order to do so, then the Buddha is having what is called an indirect perception. And that also contradicts that a Buddha only sees it directly. The Buddha doesn't need a medium, uh, uh, an intermediary, in order for, for it to perceive something, to have an experience. If you're suffering and you don't even know it, the Buddha would know it, would see it. So imagine somebody who's oblivious to their suffering, the Buddha would be completely confused then. Okay. Because you're not projecting in your mind that you're suffering, 
and yet you're suffering. And you know that. You know those people. You've had, you've, you've, had, you, you've, you've, you've met people like that. People who are oblivious to their, to their suffering. And it's, it's, it's like a, a, some sort of a defense mechanism against the suffering to block it from your own awareness. And, that's, and for some people, that's the only way to deal with whatever suffering that they're going through, to block, to stop, to not see it. Well, it doesn't mean that the suffering doesn't exist. Okay. So if the Buddha is depending on you to see your suffering in order for, for the Buddha to see, oh, finally, uh, there's somebody who's suffering. This is the reason why I became a Buddha. If you were, it's, it's like, it would be like a Star Trek episode or something, and, and some alien came in and is probing your mind. He said, don't think that, don't think that. And the alien can't see you anymore because you're not taking something like that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, just a little bit more on, on that topic because I know uh, a lot of people hold on to that as being the correct way of understanding. And you may have been holding on, some, you may know some people who, who may have been holding on to that for a very long time and they hold on to it strongly. Yes, your mind, whatever you experience, personally, as an enlightened being, is completely blissful. If someone gives you something that everybody says tastes awful, for you it will taste incredible. Okay. But you're not going to go around, you know, um, not, not a good image. <laughs> Okay. Uh, uh, well, never mind. <laughs> it's, like, it's not like you're gonna you know. You know, if you when you're enlightened, you're just gonna you know, wherever you are, you know, take your shoes and start eating it. And you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm in Buddha, you know. Uh, uh, even though it will taste good, but... How do we know this? Like the Buddha never said, I can eat shoes and it will taste beautiful. And the only thing he did say is that, that this person was ugly, you know? Mm -hmm. so oh, there, are, uh, there, there are examples of that. Uh, where... Uh, the, the, one example was the Buddha was... Giving the appearance <laughs> of being very hungry, and there was no food around, and the Buddha had no, almost ate his shoes, <laughs> but he didn't have any shoes because he was always barefoot. But he couldn't eat his shoes. <laughs> uh, he just uh, picked pick some hay and started eating it, and then and 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 he looked like he was you know in ecstasy, and Ananda you know was oh my God, you know, the Buddha's eating hay. And, and then the Buddha chew on it and then give it to Ananda. And Ananda said, wow, there are any things that taste better than this. That's one example. Yeah. Now, it's like uh, your constitution becomes incredible. <laughs> you can eat anything. <laughs> and you only have one kind of a, a taste receptor. You know, it's like some people, you know, they can't. 
taste certain things or only taste whatever you put in the mouth tastes one way. So for the Buddha, everything tastes wonderful. Okay. But it doesn't mean that the Buddha doesn't see phenomena that exist. Or doesn't see certain phenomena that exist. Like the Buddha is exempt from certain existing phenomena. Right. Uh, I to, again, I wanted to give you a lot of time to meditate. Uh, so we're going to stop talking. Uh, before the talk, I asked you to really observe the state of mind that you were in in that meditation. And one particular, one particular uh, attribute of that state of mind was that you were not trying to do anything. You were not trying to make anything happen. Okay. So you're going to go back into that same attitude of mind. You're not going to try to make anything happen. Whatever, whatever appears, you're going to just going to be aware of, of it, that, that it has appeared. Okay. So, and your sense of mindfulness will be heightened. And at the same time, you're going to keep an eye on that, uh, the progression of what began as a sense of ease in the body, and then became reflected in the breath, and then reflected in the mind. And don't visualize, don't pretend that, you're having, that your mind is feeling uh, blissful, at ease, or, or tranquil. If it is not, just be aware of it as it is and use the palpable sense of ease that you felt in the body as a, something bored. Foundation? Springboard? Anchor? Springboard? Anchor? Like foundation? Foundation? No. Platform? Platform? No. <laughs> something with a with board in it. Like, What's like, it like you, you say something and someone sort of Bounce, bounce board? Sound, sounding board? Sounding board. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you use that experience of that sense of ease that you have in the body, that palpable sense of ease as a sounding board. So for the mind, for the, is there uh, something that you can say that is as palpable but is experienced mainly in the mind? Okay. The reason for that is don't create anything. Don't imagine that you're, gonna, you're, you're, you're at peace. If you're at peace, be at peace. If there is chaos in your mind, you're in chaos. <laughs> Just stay with it. Okay. Don't run away from anything. Don't run towards anything. Okay. Uh, and I and I and I told you to uh, be aware of what happens as a reaction to having brought that sense of that presence in your heart center. Okay? So try to pay specific attention to having done that. Okay. So that's all. If something comes up, if it's wonderful, that's good. If it's scary, that's also good. Okay? But I'm hoping it will be something wonderful. <laughs> okay, so get the body ready.
one last thing. If you feel that your mind is being distracted, uh, try to hold on to your sense of purpose as, a, as something to go back to, something, some definite thing to go back to, so you feel that you're, you're, you're away from the, the, the sense of being distracted. So have a quick scan of the body, make sure that the body is in the proper posture for meditation. But don't let the scanning be scattered. If you start from the top, go from the top slowly to the bottom. If you start from the bottom, go slowly from the bottom to the top. something other than what you're experiencing is supposed to have a, is supposed to arise in the mind. That will stop it from arising.
try to stay in that state as you allow your heart to embrace each and every being everywhere. very sense of tranquility, the very sense of clarity that you experience. Let it be given to all these beings everywhere. Experiencing this peace, this tranquility, make a wish that they experience the causes of true happiness and be free of the experiences and causes of whatever troubles they are going through. dedicated to the achievement of your ultimate goal or some specific goal that you have that is of direct concern to you. Bring your attention back to the breath. Through the breath, slowly become aware of the outer body or have a, a sense of the outer body become stronger. Slowly, first stop with the top of your head and include more and more of the body until you are aware of the whole body from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Some of you may have wanted to stay longer, but sorry, no, we gotta leave. <laughs> okay. 
you.